dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. The ability to cast an effective vision is much more than coming up with great ideas. Ideas require planning in order to be effective, and planning requires choice and focus. But as we all know, our choice and focus can sometimes be wrong. That's because strategy itself depends upon our awareness. Being alert, being aware, and being attentive is the secret for making great plans. Let's take a look at how this dovetails with our faith to help us lead everywhere in our lives. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our Audeo class. And I, I just, I love the word Audeo, right? It's the Latin word for I dare. It literally means I dare. And, and such a neat idea because you break it down and you've got four different letters. It's an acronym like so many other things. A, which stands for aspire, U, which stands for understand, D, which stands for drive, and then EO, which stands for engage others. And there's four aspects of dreaming, planning, doing things, and then bringing other people with you really encompasses the whole of the field of leadership. I did a lot of, you know, reading and kind of researching what's out there in this field of leadership. And I found that, you know, many people are really good at one aspect or another. They bring out this or that part of leadership, and then they try to make that the whole. And, and I said, well, it's not really adequate because, I mean, each one of them makes a compelling vision. You know, everyone comes out and says, ownership, that's what leadership really is. Other people say, no, leadership is really virtue, and it's an exercise of the virtues. And other people say, no, leadership is your dreaming and your ability to inspire, right? And no, leadership is your ability to motivate other people. There's a million definitions of leadership out there. Uh, I remember one of my favorites was someone who said, you know what a leader is? I said, what? He said, if you look over your shoulder and people are following, then you're a leader. You know, and it's like, there's a million of those. That's like the pocket definitions that we have of leadership. And I, I spent a lot of time really thinking about it and analyzing it and asking what they all have in common and what unifies them more deeply. And where I've come to understand, you know, with great clarity is that the thing that structures everything in leadership is the human action. That is, every act of a leader is an act. Well, what, what, so if that means that all action, in a sense, has a, an impact to it. And therefore, if I can be really good at honing my actions and acting well, I will have a greater impact as a leader. Right? That, and so I broke that down and looked at St. Thomas Aquinas and he says, well, so if every act of a leader is a human act and every human act has four stages to it. Now he doesn't really say that. That's something that I've, I've come up with as I analyze Thomas Aquinas's text, but I said, yeah, absolutely it does. And then in those four stages, you can look at every element that you find in different leadership books and manuals and there are a million of them and they're, and they're all true. They're all good. You know, it's just that they'll focus in on one element or another that's, that's present in one of those four stages. And those four stages are represented by the letters in Audeo for I dare. 
right? A, aspire, your ability to say, this is what's potential. This is what we could do. You understand, that's my ability to say, and this is what we're going to do. Choosing and focusing in. D, or drive, and which is all the art of, of shifting, of maneuvering, of persevering through obstacles as you actually do it. And then engage others, which means how you relate to your team, how you motivate the people that are around you, right? So those four really comprise, I think, a, a vision that brings sanctity and holiness together with leadership. And the reason for this is just like leadership is all about acting, so also is holiness all about acting. We meet our God in and through our freedom. This means that if I can hone my action, I can both become a saint and I can bring an impact in the world. And I can make the bringing of my impact in the world the place where I become a saint. Because both of them are lodged in the same place, which is this dynamic of me coming up with visions and dreams and loving and putting my love effectively into action concretely in my life, in the mission field where God has put me. And that's going to be the field where I lead in the end. My family, my workplace, my society, my marriage. It's incredible. This is a beautiful vision. And it's what I want to help you with because we're going to be moving now into a special class here, focusing in on that phase called understand. So I have to first accept that initial phase, which is the phase of aspiring, where I let my heart go free and I come up with great ideas. And then I say, of those great ideas, which ones come first? Where do I want to prioritize my love? And I've already had that type of discussion inside of myself when I move to this next phase, which is, okay, now I need to become strategic and make a choice, right? And this is hard for a lot of people. It's hard for a lot, most people, I'd even say, to make choices. We're used, especially in the modern American culture, to not making choices. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, when someone says, what do you want to do? Most of us stammer of response. I mean, what, what do you want to do this year to make your marriage the best you, you, year you've ever had in your marriage? And most people look at you like, we never thought of that. You know, it's like, well, that's, <laughs> if you haven't made a choice of how you're going to make your marriage the best, then odds are you're not going to make this the best year of your marriage. You're going to let other decisions, other choices that other people make be in charge of your own family. I mean, so what's the best for this child? Should we homeschool this child? Should we put this child in school? It's a choice. It's hard to make that choice. There's a lot of things that can get in the way of making that choice. But unless you make that choice, you will not control the situation. The impact that you desire to have in your life is a function, to a degree, of your ability to own what is happening, to choose to direct the course of what is happening according to what you know is inside of your heart as the best thing to do. But if you don't make that choice, then someone else will make it for you. And you'll be living the effects of other people who have chosen to influence your children, your spouse, influence your workplace, influence your team, and you're not really leading. Instead, you're passively being knocked around by life. And I don't think that this is befitting for a saint of God. I think that every one of us has been given a name, an identity, a special mission that comes from God, and he expects us to step into it in order to make the impact for which he gave us to this world. As he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so he also so loves the world that he has given the world you. 
You know what I mean? Like, it was like, whoa, do we think about that enough? No, we don't. We don't think highly enough of ourselves. And that's why we live kind of boring lives, honestly, you know, because we, we've lost the thrill and the excitement of a vision that says, I have been sent by God as an emissary, his emissary, his ambassador into this day in order to bring love where there is none, to bring peace where there is war, to bring healing where there are wounds. I have to accept fundamentally that my life is comprised of actions and that actions are the fruit of choices and that choice is where I show the real depth of my freedom and the soundness of my character. And so the, one of the reasons a lot of people struggle to make a choice is because they're ashamed of who they are. And they're not really sure that they want to claim with their name something that they are doing. And so we put our heads down and we, like lemmings, allow other people to just, you know, take over the field. We would rather be silent and thought a fool than open our mouths and remove all doubt. <laughs> right? It's like that old saying. Well, what if you're not a fool? What if, in fact, you are a son of God? And you're being told that you're a fool or you're being told that you don't have the right to be a son of God. So you don't even claim that identity and you keep your mouth shut. But in fact, if you're a son of God, then the world needs to hear from you. And if in fact you've discovered the redeeming and loving power of Jesus Christ, then we need to have you in your families and in your society and in your marriage leading it from the front because you're leading it following Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing and a light that this world desperately needs and I want to see you be able to give it. Well, to do that, you've got to step into making choices, make them proudly, make them boldly, and make them with God. We're going to talk about that. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. All right, so we find ourselves in charge of all kinds of different things, right? We're managers in our workplace. We're executives uh, for our businesses. We're owners sometimes, right? We find ourselves with a myriad of, ch of challenges. Some of us are entrepreneurs who have started their own endeavor. You know, God bless you guys. <laughs> uh, other people are solopreneurs. You know, they, they tried to be entrepreneurs and it was a lot easier just to do it themselves, right? So some of you are, are, are trained professionals and everywhere that you go, there's going to be something that you've got in common with in every situation. And that is that you have to make a vision plan that's clear, concise, and effective, a kind of strategy. And, and even if we're not writing it down into a three-year plan or something formal, it exists in our head. If you don't have a strategy, then you're just, you're actually not able to lead anyone. Uh, leadership requires having a type of plan, either operative instinctively or operative in our mind, but it, no one will be able to follow someone who isn't able to enunciate how they're doing what they're doing. It's not just why you're doing it, which is wonderful, beautiful, very powerful. We all know that. But the why needs to become a how, right? And the why becomes a how by specifying a what, okay? So I move from, yes, I'm selling my why, I'm operating in my why, into a focus of, and this is what I'm doing, so that I can explain how we are going to be successful, and that, that is really the art of a strategy. 
A strategy moves us from the motivating factor of why we're doing something into a real focus point on what we need to do to get there. And yet, as anyone can attest who's actually tried to do it, creating an effective strategy is extremely difficult. And sometimes we make the wrong strategy. Sometimes we make the wrong moves. Uh, sometimes it can be very costly. And that whole, the whole idea of actually having a battle plan can be so daunting for some because they're focused in so much on what's in front of them right now that, that they can't lift their eyes effectively to see enough of where they're going. And so you're so afraid of letting go of the details that are flying around you that you never take the time to be able to adequately organize them. But we also know that unless we can do it, number one, we, it'll be really hard to get people to follow us. And then number two, we're going to be ineffective and inefficient. That many of the great ideas that we have, we won't be able to bring to fruition because we weren't able to select the, the means to those ends with enough conviction to really get us to that point. I remember one time I got a text from a friend uh, of mine who, who was, you know, trying to be funny, you know, but it was a great way to put it. He said, remember this, every dead body that's currently buried on top of Mount Everest was once a highly motivated individual. <laughs> I thought that, that was very eloquent, right? He was saying it's not because you really want something that you're going to make it, right? You might make it all the way to the top and be very motivated, but if you run out of oxygen or if you get too tired, or I mean, there's consequences for the choices that we make. And, and it's not just the motivation of a great ideal. And I think there's something very refreshing for our Christianity and from our Christianity about the same concept. Sometimes we can imagine our Christianity but, uh, but being all about the dream, all about these beautiful ideals of love and unity, right? And we lack the grittiness of a mind that says, how are we going to get there? There's a, within our, our Christian family, we have a penchant for beautiful thoughts. We write books that we don't intend anyone ever to read. And we love having conversations about concepts and people and historical facts that have no relationship to what we're actually doing. Sometimes you can even find Christians that are like this. Like, instead of really focusing in on the problems that they can solve, we spend our time entertaining ourselves with beautiful concepts, with thoughts and intellectual ideas and analyses of things that, that allow us, in a sense, to have the impression that we're moving forward even while we're not. And I think that that's just not acceptable in the end. But, you know, to give the, the image of being holy without actually being holy is a definition of a Pharisee. And actually being holy, that means that you need to take those thoughts and you need to make them real. To move from the, the noble aspirations into effective action. And that's an object of choice. The, the ability for me to choose the way to make this happen will also be the determining factor of the impact of my leadership. So if I'm in charge of a family, it's not enough for me just to think about how my family is a domestic church and how beautiful it is to have children. And, you know, I need to be really strategic about what kind of shows I'm going to let them watch, what kind of clothes I'm going to let them wear, what kind of conversation we're going to have at our dinner table. Am I choosing those things? Or am I just allowing circumstances of life to flow, you know, past me? Look, the fact is, choosing not to choose is also a choice.
but it's not the choice that's going to get me to where I want to bring the people that are around me for whom I'm responsible. So when I talk about strategy, it's, an, it's a very elastic term. It refers to the, the plan that you have to make a desire effective in your life. And it can be a plan that's written down and elaborated. It can have all kinds of measurements, especially if you're in the business world. But it can also have the very simple, just instinctive thing. But all of it, what strategy will always have is the concomitant force of a choice. I'm choosing to do this and not do this. I'm going to choose what I'm going to focus in on. And I just want to say, I think God loves strategic thinking. I think he loves it because it makes love real. A love that is not strategic, that is not chosen, is a love that will lack the freedom of the heart of the person who's heroically engaging it. Which is, we can dodge our freedom, we can dodge heroism by dodging responsibility for choices. But when we really engage ourselves and make a choice for this, not that, and focus, something more beautiful happens inside of us. We step towards a deeper understanding and a deeper realism of who we are. We become what we choose. We become real. As real as our choices, so real is the person that is making them. And that is a beautiful opportunity from God to develop ourselves in a way that no other thing can ever develop us. The ability to own our life and be responsible for ourselves through and in making choices. This is a beautiful blessing. It's a tough blessing. It's a blessing a lot of people don't want, but it's a blessing all the same because we were made for that freedom. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So we've gone over how important it is to make a choice and how important it is to be free and to own our re- responsibly what we've chosen. We've said that choice is really, you know, something of, of choosing to do one thing rather than another and to dedicate our resources effectively behind a desire to achieve a, a, a chosen end. What's necessary to do it? Now, this is what where a lot of us trip up because honestly, What's necessary is intelligence, a practical intelligence. And some people are really gifted with this practical intelligence. They're able to judge effectively between the means that they have and the end that they're trying to achieve. And some people are born that way. I really think so. Or you're nurtured into it. And other people really struggle with that. But I think if you can break down your struggle, it makes it a little bit easier. Breaking it down means to say, okay, when I have to make a practical judgment, a practical decision, what I, I need to do is number one, balance where I'm trying to go with where I currently am, right? So there's a, an awareness that is, you know, expressed. You can just say it's an honest assessment of my situation. And the trick to helping you to make that prioritization, which again, for some is natural. They just are, are, you put them in any situation and they just kind of say, this is what needs to be done. And they're, and they're right. (laughs) It's great to have someone like that on your team, right? Just bring them on, say, you can use your gifts all day long. You know, (laughs) I'll bring you the motivation. You bring me the practical answers, right? It's terrific. But sometimes, you know, you say, how do I develop that in myself? Remember this, clarity is the key. 
your power to decide will flow from the ability that you have to see clearly. So if you're struggling there, look for more clarity. Try to understand better. Where is it? What does it mean when I say this is what I want to achieve? Let's define that in even more closely. Writing your goals down in smart format is a really great way to do that. Smart, smart format means specific, S, M, measurable, A, attainable, R, realistic, and T is time-bound. Sometimes we don't disagree with the real foundational, aspirational element of what we're trying to do, but we don't know enough about how I can actually attain it because we haven't made it really a measurable thing. So an example is, okay, we want Honey to have a happier home. All right, well, that's great, but it's also not really going to be able to be attainable because we haven't defined what that looks like. Let's write down what we mean by happiness. What specific measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound thing can we do that will make us happy? We can say, well, happiness means better spent quality time. All right, now let's go even more with that. You can define that even down better. So what activities can we schedule on our calendar that would constitute better quality time for the family? And now all of a sudden your end goal looks like going to the zoo once a month, having a movie together once a month and having a family meal three times a week. Now you've got something that you can really attain. So then you do the other step that that's looking towards the goal. Then you look at your actual situation and you say, what will I need to change in order to attain that smart goal, that realistic, attainable, time bound, measurable, and specific objective, that action that I can actually put my finger on and say, this is what I've got to do. What do I've got to change in order to do that? So then you need an honest assessment of your own resources. You say, well, it's going to be really hard to have a family meal uh, three times a week if, in fact, I don't get home until 7.30 at night. All right, so let's readjust and let's find a way for me to balance out what I've got to do. And so by having your, it's almost like you reach out to the two sides of the decision, of the choice. The one is what you hope for and you make that specific. And the other is a real honest assessment of your resources. I mean, really, what are you, what do you have to work with? What are the limitations you can't do anything about, right? It would be silly to choose as to attain an objective that you don't have the ability to attain, right? So instead you might need to change that objective around, move it and adjust it accordingly. But having the intelligence of where you currently are and what the real lay of the land is, is key for victory. When General Sherman, for example, was moving across Georgia into it to storm Atlanta on his way, you know, his dreadful march through the South. Uh, and one of the thing, reasons that he won in the Battle of Atlanta was because the intelligence reports from the, the Confederacy weren't accurate about his movements. He was able to confuse the intelligence such that they thought he was somewhere else while he moved around them and continued to flank them and flank them and flank them until finally victory was his. You know, when I deal with married couples, a lot of times I'll ask them as a way of gathering that type of intelligence to ask their spouse whether their spouse feels like they are the number one thing in their life and whether or not their spouse feels like they are respected. It gathers some intelligence. A lot of times the problems that we have is that we're not willing to be honest enough with our time frame, with our health, with our mentality to make good choices. 
And so instead we live in a kind of a pipe dream and we can fail time and time again because of that lack of realism. How refreshing it is to see in our faith how God comes and by asking us to follow Christ makes us realistic. Because one of the number one things to following Christ is to be humble, to accept and to love the truth because you have nothing to hide. So many times we're afraid of the truth. We're afraid of accepting what we cannot do because we're afraid of human judgment. I mean, it's like, almost like we look at our, our life as a kind of competition. Who can be the best dad ever? Who can be the best husband ever? Who can be the most successful salesman of all time? And, and that's not what God asks us to do. He's not asking us to be the best ever. He's asking us to be ourselves, right? And, and sometimes the, the contours of what we can't do actually speak forth who we really are in the most beautiful of ways. It's by accepting our limitations that we actually give ourselves definition. I am not called to be the infinity of God. I'm called to be a specific person with a specific name. And that specificity comes through and in my limitations. So when I can accept what I can't do and accept where I currently am, I actually open the way to letting the beauty of the light that's within me to shine forth. Right? So, but it comes from that humility. And that's where God allows us to be realistic. I, I really want to challenge you here. If it's hard for you to make decisions, ask yourself what you're afraid of. Nothing will cloud our ability to, to choose and to have a strategy that's effective more than fear. You know, recently, I took a, a lesson in downhill skiing because I'm not a good skier. I'm from Ohio where there are no hills. <laughs> I mean, in, in Northwest Ohio, there are simply no hills. Like where, where I was to go skiing when I was in high school, we'd go to garbage dumps, literally. So landfills would be the only hill <laughs> that there was to ski on. And I would ski down the landfill. Well, so, so then I come to Colorado and suddenly I've got the Rocky Mountains right there. So I'm no good at skiing. And I took a lesson in order to learn. And it was neat because the, the fellow who was teaching me how to learn to ski said, do not try to go down hard hills because fear will clog your mind and make you forget everything that you learned. Instead, he said, build up gradually. Start with the small things and keep on redoing the same motions that we taught you until naturally you progress down the hill. And I thought that's such a great image for our own life. God takes away our fear because God removes judgment. His absolute acceptance for us as we are allows us to honestly assess the resources that we have against the clear goal that we have chosen. Daring great things requires intelligence. And that intelligence is something God not only condones and blesses, but he enables. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.